what a lovely way to start a podcast. I'm your host, David Griffiths, and this is episode 128 of The Cool Room. Uh, we're going to be having a great chat today uh, with Woolshed Brewing with Jackson Beavis. Uh, really looking forward to getting into that part of the episode. But before we get there, let's have a little Cool Room competition. Uh, I don't think we've ever done a competition before, and we're going to give away the beers associated with this podcast. They're in a pack that also uh, contains the Galactophonic Tonic from Valhalla, and the beers that you'll need for a future episode that we're going to have with the local brewing company. So, nine beers in there in total. What you'll need to do is email me at coolroompodcast, that's all one word, at gmail, and tell me where that little bit of music and sound effect that we started the episode with comes from. Uh, you'll need to have a good memory and there's certainly a relevance to uh, what we're going to be talking about with Jackson today. Uh, so email me at Podcast, and if you're the first person to do that, we'll send you out some delicious beers. Uh, if you aren't the first person but you'd like to get those beers, then head on over to our Shopify store, uh, Cool Room Podcast at Shopify. You'll be able to track that down through Google pretty easily. And you'll be able to buy those beers there and also the beers for the future episodes. Uh, there's some really delicious things there from past and future episodes. Uh, a big thank you to everyone who's been supporting us by listening to the podcast. Certainly the Nerd Nerd episode, which was the most recent one, had a whole heap of people listening in for the first time. We hope that you'll continue to listen. We hope that you'll subscribe to the podcast. We hope that you will join our mailing list by emailing that same address uh, and that way you won't miss out on news about future uh, live events, of which there's a couple of really special ones coming up soon. Uh, I'm going to be joined today by Mr Warren Wu, my co-host. I'm going to hand over to him to start this episode with Jackson and um, look forward to hearing from you all when you've identified that bit of music at the start. Warren Wu, how are you? I'm good, thank you, David. How are you going? I'm good, but I have been up since a ridiculous time this morning, uh-huh. and um, that's why I'm enjoying kicking off this with a sour, cleansing my palate from RSL Carton Draft. Ah, yeah, it's yeah. This would this would be really helpful. It's a yeah, tasty little sour, nice and bright, really fresh. Um, yeah, even though it's autumn, the the sun outside is amazing. So this kind of makes sense. Um, let's kick off by saying hello to to Jackson. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you. Thanks very much. Nice to be here. Nice to meet you. Yeah. What we like to do, what we what we normally do when we kick off our podcast is just just to kind of get a picture or a sense of of the brewery. Um, We've we've got uh, we've got a lot of a lot of listeners from all around the all around the traps and internationally as well. Shout Um, out to Norway who've come on board since Nurgna Ur last week. All these Norwegian listeners. Hello. that's pretty, yeah, that's pretty awesome. Um, and so, and so, yeah, can you paint us a picture of the brewery and Renmark and, and yeah, the, that magical, magical part of the world that you come from? Yeah, um, sure. So Woolshed Brewery um, started, sort of was conceived 2008 or, you know, um, it, things started happening in 2008. The brewery certainly went in 2008. Mm-hmm. Um, so 2009 was the first beer that, that was brewed, um, and it was uh, it was a one pale ale. And I don't know if you cast your mind back twelve years ago, that that um, like golden ale was craft beer. You know, yeah. it was a one beer thing. Um, 
and there was all this other beer out there, but it was a bit, um, you know, a bit, a bit hard, harder to find. So mm -hmm. the, idea, the idea started with that one beer. Um, and then that's when I, when I came along um, as a hobby brewer. But I, I was in Adelaide at the time and I, um, I heard about this, this brewery that was, um, you know, kilometres up the river, sort of tucked away in, back in my hometown of Renmark. And I, I didn't, almost didn't believe it. I'm like, this doesn't make makes sense. Renmark, it's, um, it's a great, great place. Um, it was a bit quieter back then. And I mean, since then, the town's, the town's really boomed uh, as far as the tourism side has gone. And the sort of the brewery's been there growing with, with that. Um, so, so, I mean, I've been there, I've been there for what, 11 years, nearly 12 mm -hmm. years now. Um, I, did a, I did a stint overseas for a year where I just took it upon myself um, and my wife. We went did a bit of backpacking just to see as much beer uh, things in the UK and Europe as we could. And we we did a bit of work um, in breweries over there, which was which was pretty special, especially now how hard it is to do those sort of things. Mm. Um, so really appreciate you know the time got to do that. But back in my hometown of Renmark and and at the Woolshed Brewery, so um, yeah, it's it's a it's a small um, twelve hectolitre electric kit, uh, pretty traditional style of brewing, mm -hmm. uh, as in. Your your British style, um, you know, ales. Uh, the brew house really suits those styles of beer, which yep. is lucky because that's my favourite stock sorts of beer to brew. So the the brew kit um, which we bought new um, came with one fermenter, one bright beer tank, and we've since expanded into four fermenters, a few doubles, a triple tank, some bright beer tanks. We've got a cast canning line which we got just before COVID hit, which basically saved our butts. That's a whole other story. Mm. Um, but it, it, it was so good that all our beer now going into cans, which which is sort of now I won't get into the the debate of bottles versus cans, but it's made the beer um, it's sort of put a, a next level on the beer. Whereas before it was bottle conditioning, again a lot more traditional. But mm -hmm. for sort of modern beers like this that you you know keep cold, have fresh, they arrive in a really good state. Cans are really good for that. Um, but I'm sure. What is it, episode 126? We've done the debate by then. Oh, yeah, but you're, you're welcome to have your say on the debate. Yeah. But it's funny yeah, how even yeah. in the time that we've been doing it, opinions have changed. Like, there's yeah. so few bottles now. Yeah. Yeah. I I love both. They both have their, their um, you know, positives. Mm -hmm. um, and But, I mean, we've gone down the, with the cans and it's just really made things flexible, fresher. Um, yeah, it's been really good. And I guess the beers to Victoria, to so you guys, a lot in a lot better state. You know, so and probably doubled our doubled our ability, doubled our output of our package stuff. So our ability to actually do it. So before it was um it was really laborious to you know six bottles on. I don't know if you've seen those hand those hand oh. gravity fillers and yeah. We almost yeah. uh we got to the point where we just dreaded bottling days. We we're just like bottling day. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> now it's like canning day. It's firing up. You watch this watch this machine roll. It's great. So yeah, the, the brewery is nestled in this magical little spot up the river. It's twenty uh -huh. minutes out of Renmark. You do have to travel to get there. Like you have to. It's not a thoroughfare, so you have to know that you're going to the brewery, which is great because the people that are there haven't. You know, they know they've heard about this place. They're they're there on holiday and they've come to see the brewery and they might have travelled from, you know, however far away. So um, yeah, everyone has a really good time. And so we, we should say that the river itself is. 
the Murray River, which is like an iconic Australian. Yeah, uh, of course. You know, a lot of people from overseas, when they think Australia, think beaches or deserts. Yeah. Uh, Renmark is neither of the above, really, is it? It's quite really yeah. Cool. Well, it's like the desert with the with the river running through it. You know, that's what get, keeps this mm. region alive. You know, through you know, obviously through Victoria and then Mildura is sort of our. You know, it's just across the border. Um, it's closer to us than Adelaide. Um, you know, we're we're pretty close to obviously the border there. So you get a lot of lot of um, visitors from from that have passed through Mildura. You know, all coming down the river and doing a doing a trip that way. Um, there's a bit of a route that tourists do. You know, a bit of a river run that go all the way down and yep. and uh, yeah, do some fun things there. But it is yeah, it is a really really um, special place. Plenty of things to go exploring. So and I think the um, the tourism's really built from built around that is sort of going camping and yep. and going out and exploring the river or getting on the water and, and doing stuff like that. So yeah, it's a good spot. Um, I, you touched on it a little bit, Jackson, but um, tell us a little bit about what people would expect in your tap room when they make that 20-minute journey out, when they go, yeah, they decide to come visit. What should they expect? Well, I mean, I'm very used to it. I see it every day, but it's, um, it's an old, old wool shed. It's over 100 years old, over 120 years old, and it's built in the old style. All the posts are... Uh, native pine you can see the axe cuts where they've they've chopped them down with axes and it was really wow. old historical part it's, and it's got it's got a building on this property that was built in 1860 so it was a settler's cottage mm-hmm. from the area so that's that's sort of crumb it's, it, it, it's it's falling down which is a shame we're trying to get permission to restore it um which is a whole nother thing but um, that's that was one of the first buildings in the area because this property used to be part of a huge sheep station when there was just absolutely you know no no one else around and um, yeah very interesting place so it's got a bit of history there um, and uh, yeah there's a there's an old homestead that the owners live in and they just they love the area and love keeping that sort of history. Uh, uh, alive so the idea with this wool shed that was also falling down and crumbling when tom had the idea you know 15 years ago he was in he was getting into beer um he was in adelaide selling selling beer and and wine um and he said i've got to come home to my parents place and and make this bring it back to life because it was sort of crumbling down and the first thing that went in was the brewery nothing else was even open the brewery wasn't the, the venue wasn't open it was just the brew house and his his idea was okay. We'll just make this beer and just grow from there. So it just started from that one beer, uh, which was Amazon Ale, which was the first beer, that classic mm-hmm. Australian ale. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, grew from there. So yeah, yeah. Um, I thought uh, I thought we could move uh, onto the beer itself and kind of sure. like we're getting very much a sense that the Woolshed Brewings. Uh, there's a lot of layers to it. There's a lot of yeah, there's a lot of different aspects to it. And I suppose that's a that's a really dodgy segue to the tropical <laughs> ale. So no, it is um, a bit funny, like, if I can just butt, butt in. Yeah, yeah, please. Uh, this, this brewery probably suits, the person expecting rocking up might just expect one one lager, one pale, yep. um, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And we've really sort of tried to get a really big range and showcase what's possible. And it kind of does get people um, interested in it because they're not expecting that at all when they walk in. And 
a lot of the people that they're just after a cold beer. They want that cold beer because they're traveling. But then um, they might discover the something like the tropical sound. They'll, they'll just we did not even think that this was um, you know going to happen today. So it's um, it's pretty cool to be able to show people that. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, give us give us a little rundown. I can so so mango and passion fruit. And what I really like about it is you can definitely get both fruits and different aspects of both fruits as you're drinking the beer so you know on the nose it changes on the palate it changes um give us a little rundown on on the beer itself like a little bit of a tasting and um maybe even some t- uh, on on the brewing process for this guy sure yeah the the beer is simple and that's sort of the beauty of it it's a you know it's a four percent four point one percent um kettle sour beer the process is interesting, and an, another brewer really taught taught it to me. Um, it was Brad from Left Barrel Brewing in Balhanna in um, South Australia, in Adelaide Hills, and we did a collab beer for the Beer and Barbecue Festival, and that was the Big Orange. We actually we kettle soured that. He had a he had a um, culture of black dough that he'd bought up in a keg, so that was he, he brought that to a part to the party. Um, we brewed this Big Orange. Which was with um, which was all orange juice. So that's the citrus. This is like the tropical version. That's the citrus one, um, and we fermented it in four oak wine barrels. Wow! Um, yeah. Because we didn't have any ferment space, and we're going well. If we're going to make this beer this day, because you know we had to do it, we we got these four barrels. So they actually fermented in them, picked up a lot of oak, and it become it was a really delicately nice beer. It all worked. I was you know all those aspects all in one um, you know glass is a bit bit nerve-wracking when you've when you're just trying to make the beer work for a certain beer festival but it all came together really nicely very complicated way of doing things especially transferring fermented beer in barrels and you know then trying to you know get it carbonated and oh, yeah. and, then, um, and we were still bottling at that stage so I don't think any made into bottles just because you know things are not really clean and you don't want to put unclean things into a bottle yeah mm-hmm. long story but um oh yeah <laughs> That's where the the, the the sours were born at Woolshed, and um, um, this is a this is sort of the uh, the brother, the sister beer to that, the sibling beer to the, to to the big orange. So these tropical um, uh, fruits become available through through um, some suppliers uh, and a really nice, easy way to use them. So we said, right, we need to get that the big orange is so popular. We need to make this one. Uh, I have used a different bit of a different technique with the with the um, tropical fruit, mm-hmm. which is mango and passion fruit, um, which, is, which is straight in the fermenter at the end of fermentation. So mm-hmm. the beer is made as a clean sour, no no flavors, no fruit flavorings, um, all through ferment. But then right near the end of ferment, I'll add the I'll add 100 kilos of um, mango and passion fruit pulp yep. in that go, and the ferment will kick off again. It just loves it. Yep. Um, grabs all those sugars and then sort of becomes one and uh yeah and then that's that's the tropical sound so it's as simple as that so the malt base really simple it's it's traditional ale and wheat mm-hmm. um wheat wheat to kind of help maybe give it some body being a sour but this thing ferments super dry it it ferments right out with a nice clean yeast and it's um it's really low in sugar um, a little bit there to help, kind of help the fruit, yep. um, but yeah, basically it is a it is a dry, really dry beer. Um, but that that fruit shines through on yeah. top. It's pretty mango heavy. 
Um, I find I don't think the, the passion fruit comes out as much as the mango, so it's really mangoey. Everyone loves mangoes, so mm. it's not a bad thing, you know. So it's uh, it totally works out, that. yeah. Mm. Yeah, I'm loving it. I've got to say, it is just the perfect beer for the kind of weather and the kind of day I'm having. So it's it's a great <laughs> way to kick off the selection today. Yeah, well, um, that's the story of the tropical of the tropical sour. If I can keep yammering on about yeah, it, yeah, please keep yammering. Head, on. No head whatsoever. The head yeah. just disappears off of it, and I cannot <laughs> get head to cling cling on this beer. Um, I've added a few different malts. I believe it's the kettle souring process, yep. which I didn't touch on. Um, yeah, so that's I was, I mean, we're going to ask that question. Just mm. you know, there's sort of two main obviously ways to to make a sour beer, and perhaps for sort of newer craft beer people, can you explain the way you do it? Just yeah, so this it's it's sort of if you if you know the brewing process, um, it's sort of brew day split in two halves. So you have the you have the mash, you you run off your sweet wort, it'll go into your kettle, you boil it, you add hops, you cool it, you make beer, you you've got fermented fermentable beer. Mm-hmm. But with with this souring process overnight, you do the mash, you do get your runoff, you get your sugar, and you hold it in the kettle, and then you add a souring bacteria, which in this case is lactobacillus. The same thing that that creates yogurt, um, you know, the other 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 products, and you can actually get that yogurtiness that um, to it as well, which I really like. It's nice savory sort of um, character to the beer. Mm. Um, but, I mean, since we brewed this this beer with Brad, when he brought, he had to culture up his own lacto that he'd that he'd sourced and brought it up in a nineteen liter keg. There's been a few innovations and red, red, more readily available um, yeasts. So. Um, and bacteria, and they're sort of shelf ready in big, bigger quantities. So you've got them on hand that you, you can use them. So it actually makes the process, um, you know, simplifies that that process. You don't have to wake up at three in the morning and panic and, and, and go, "What have I made? What have I done? What have I ruined this week?" <laughs> um, but no, it all comes it all comes together. So yeah, the, the kettle souring process overnight. So it'll sour, and that souring will kick off overnight. And in, in the morning, that bacteria is eaten a whole bunch more sugar, create a lactic acid, which creates that sourness. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you basically turn that process off by boiling it. So you hit, so it's all in the kettle. So then you can boil it. So then you'll stop that process. Mm-hmm. So then those those lactic that lactic bacteria has has died basically, and that process is stopped. And you've locked in that acid. The acid's been created. It's locked in the beer. That's that nice acidic um, character that you can taste. Mm-hmm. Then the beer is clean again, and you can ferment it um, with another strain of yeast to create the alcohol. So yeah, they're um, they are very interesting beers to make. Um, a bit more involved. It takes two days instead of that that one brew day. You do it over overnight. Come in really early because if you don't catch it, it's sour. It just keeps going, and it's um, yeah. You kind of you don't want it too sour. You don't want people having uh, you know lemon juice. Basically, it just keeps mm. going. But um, yeah, they are they are interesting beers and great. Add a bit of fruit, and they're um, yeah, they're tasty. Yeah. So, mm. Are there other fruits that you sort of have on the agenda for future years? There's obviously a pretty wide oh, range that you can use. So. There's lots locally. There's um, we we have started looking at some native Australian stuff again. Um, it's all come back on the table, which is great. Um, and they do work well with sours. Um, but no, there's nothing on the there's nothing on the uh, drawing board at the moment. Let's put it that way. Has, has so, this have you found this one as popular as the big orange? Have people uh, taken to this as well? And they like it once once they get it in their glass. Mm-hmm. I think I think I've used one of the fear words 
which is um, which is sour. Oh, yeah. mm. <laughs> Getting people to buy that <laughs> something that says sour, they'll go, oh, oh no, I won't be, I won't like that. No, and you can say, well, you know, do you like citrus? Do you like tropical? Yeah. They're they're sour. Do you like? Oh yeah, I like those things. And that's, yeah. Well, that's yeah. you know, that's this that's this beer. But the big orange is sort of explain, you know, sort of it's a different name, it's a different word, and I think. I've always got the mindset that that has a big part, a big psychology thing to do with it. If you call yep. the name of the beer, you know, if it's self-explanatory, boom, people people find that they're comfortable with it. Yep. But if it's called the, uh, you know, the, the the sour tongue ripper, you're going to have trouble. <laughs> for, yeah. you know, for the jet, for everyone to kind of, you know, enjoy it. So um, yeah, I think people really people really like it, and it's yep. it's funny as soon as we don't have it on tap. It just feels like people want want it more. Yeah, isn't that weird how that happens? Like as soon as yeah, yeah, as soon as you think, oh yeah, we emptied that line, we'll put something else on, and then everyone suddenly on it. Oh, I'll have one of those, you know. So, um, so we do sell a lot of cans of it. Yeah, (laughs) terrific. We um, go on, David. No, no, you go, mate. No, no, I was just going. Where you going? No, I was going, actually, no, I was going, I was going backtrack a bit. I was going, I had a leading question because I was interested in Jackson, in your history and a little bit of your travel. Where did you end up working? I love uh, And by the way, I love the fact that our, our, our podcast listeners won't be able to see this. So they're kind of missing out, but you've got a tap behind you with like, I, yeah, I love that, that little bar you've got behind you with the, um, is that a, is that London pride badge on the, I pay. I didn't pinch it. I did pay for it. <laughs> We've never said yeah, otherwise. Yeah, we we other, maybe a few other one. beer coasters or, uh, or yeah, the, yeah. Like, the glassware. That the glassware. Yeah, that's right. Um, oh, you know, all sorts of things you pick up along the way and um, display with pride. They're almost like a trophy. You know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally. Um, but, yeah. Um, so where did you? Where did you? Where did you um, work? Where were you lucky enough to work overseas? So we. I took a year sabbatical, um, twenty fifteen, and mm-hmm. with with um, with my girlfriend at the time, and then my wife, um, um, and we just with the idea that we wanted to just see as much as we could in that year, mm-hmm. um, and I mean, I wanted to go to every tap room and brewery I saw. Yep. Um, Elise started to find other things that we were interested in, but we kind of found a good balance and, you know, that's the, uh, that's the idea. But um, oh, we saw some amazing things. It just kicked off with, with traveling through Europe. Um, I mean, we, there's so much, we ended up, I mean, the first place we went to was Israel. We had a, we had a wedding to go to in Israel, which was, that was mine, my yeah. blowing. And that weekend there was a beer festival, an Israeli beer festival on. And I'm like, well, we go on to that. Wow, yeah. So we went, we went to that and they have just got a totally different drinking culture. I think they only like to have one beer and then party, party. Um, and they found it so funny because they knew this stat. They kept telling me this, this stat that Australia is the biggest beer drinkers. So they had this big, Big expect, expectation when Elise and I come over, so they just kept feeding us beers. They're like, "You Australians, you love you love beer. We know the stats because they they are one of the lowest beer beer drinkers, yeah, as, you know, as, as a stat. So they're they're also one of the biggest beer. you know statisticians as well. So it's not yeah. surprising that they had the stats. <laughs> that's right. So you know that sort of kicked things off, and and um, we did end up settling down in um, in the UK. Um, and um, we had some friends up north, but we ended up we ended up finding some work in London. 
Yep. Um, I worked for a brewery called Five Points Brewing Company, oh, yeah. um, which is a bit of a was a bit of a hip, really hip area. Um, and I worked for another um, another brewery called the Bull and Finch, um, and that one I really fell in love with. It was a it was a single um, operator, oper- you know, single guy running this running this show. And I came in, I came to him and I and I said, look, I'm a brewer. I'm I'm, I'm not here for a long time, but I just love to be able to help out and get involved. And he sort of he sort of said, look, let's do this. He his business partner just left. He was going to run the bar. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's just like, I need this help. So we basically set this brewery up and it was in railway arches, um, in the railway arches of London. So all these little oh. breweries were popping up at the time. Um, I don't know if you heard of this Bermondsey beer mile, uh, in South London there, oh, all, yeah, that was yeah. all popping up and yeah. there's all these little breweries. Uh, so that they, they sort of opened up the brewer's license too. So there was, it was just booming in it was 2015 and it was just great fun and a really tight community for somewhere as big as London, we could all yeah. find all the brewers and and you know really get you know chatting and catching up it was great made some great great friends and some great connections there um but yeah had, had some great fun and um yeah and then we then we quickly found ourselves broke and uh <laughs> as you do but we try to do it all again at, at the end and, and do a few more things and then yeah moseyed our way home and um yeah it was great yeah, the colonel. I'm seeing on the chat the colonel that was there popping up. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Got to got to go there. I brewed another. I brewed at I did all these collabs as well. I brewed at um, Southwark Southwark Brewing Co on the on just under the Thames there, and yeah, just got to do some amazing things. Um, partisan Brewing. Um, yeah, awesome. It was great. It's going to be a lot of very confused English breweries when I tag all of them in the social media yeah. posts <laughs> when the episode comes out. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I reckon, Warren, what do you reckon we go off script a little bit here and move oh, on to the Amber Ale, perhaps a little yep. bit quicker than we were going to? Yeah. Because really the kinds of beers that we're talking about and the Amber Ale. Yeah, it know, makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. Let's yep. have a bit of the, the inspiration behind this beer and... Again, if you can take us on a little bit of a tour about what we should be experiencing here and why your amber ale is, you know, what's what's particularly you about it? Yeah, so the amber ale it is a it is a sort of a traditional um, red ale, traditional darker, you know, caramelly. Mm. Excuse me. Um, it came about. It was it was the brewery's. Um, what was it? It was the centenary of the homestead at the brewery. Uh, so there's yeah. the, the homestead there. Um, 1913, it was built and it was a centenary of that. So 2013, we thought, right, we're going to brew a special beer just for this and we'll launch it in, launch it in long necks. We we're doing long necks at the time. Um, and Amber Ale was sort of like the next step up for the golden now, you know, it was like the next craft beer to find, mm. you know. So we brewed, we brewed one and it was really, really tasty beer. Um, sweet, caramelly, a lot of crystal malts in there, which is really traditional um, sort of malt to use. Um, it was the first dry hopped beer we'd made, but I think it was the third beer we'd made. That that yeah, right. very right. uh, So we, we we'd made a pale ale, we'd made our Judas dark ale, and then it was then it came around to this centenary. I said, well, we're going to make this amber ale because that was that was one of the first beers, that, the craft beers that I sort of. It, it, it changed my mind about beer. It was always lager, lager, lager before that. Mm. I know it's such a typical story, isn't it? You know, but then you then you find that one one beer yep. that sort of changes your mind, and it was um, it was an amber ale. So, I'm like, right, I'm gonna have a crack at crack at brewing that. 
um, it comes together quite nicely. And we, we just brewed the one batch of that. But then we kept getting asked about it. You, you know, they're like, I've kept this bottle because we numbered all the bottles, you know, did a bit of a did a bit of a thing for the centenary and we gave out the bottles as a, as a gift to people who come along. Um, and then like, they're bringing them in years later, like the next year. And I've kept mine to sell her and try, you know, two years later and that sort of thing. And, you know, and there was some really positive feedback. So we re-released it under the, under the guise of this 3AM. 3AM is tied in with the Wool Shed. Um, it's a brand of the, the uh, well, Wool Classes brand for the best, uh, the best wool going around. And, you know, it was a real Wool Shed feel back then. It's sort of the venue has changed a lot. Um, but really, back then you almost um, you almost felt like one of the shearers. So the old branding was uh, was really tied to the to the um, shearing shed. So we've actually I don't know if we can uh, I don't know if I'm talking out of school here, but we've just discontinued it. We've just made the decision that that's this is that's this is Amber done, done right. uh, which is a bit of a bit of a sad day when you discontinue beers, but. We can't, I don't know, maybe we just can't keep making all the beers all the time mm -hmm. and you need to save them a beer special yep. for some, some things. But the Amber Ale had a really good run. Let, allow me to get one. <laughs> Absolutely. I love the brand. Like, we always get in branding discussions, but I love that, like, that Hessian, that, like, when I when I yeah. think of, like, yeah, like a shearer's, like in a shearing shed with the sorting table and, yeah, it all just being wrapped in that Hessian bag. Yeah, like that's those, right. big, those big wool bags. Yeah, it's, it's that's, totally, that's right. Yeah, yeah, subtle enough, but still really, yeah, homely. I think it it connects to the beer as well. Like I think the the very idea of tradition and and kind of those older styles. Um, I think it makes a lot of sense. It's a good yeah. So were there ambers that you particularly took inspiration from? You know, obviously you're know, aficionado of those English breweries. You know, if people were wanting to learn a bit more about this style, which we see a bit of, but maybe not a huge amount of, hmm. where would you direct people to? Where should they go? Well, at the time, and it's a bit a bit cheesy, but the beer that I that sort of changed my mind about beer was James Squire Amber Ale, and it hmm. was sort of the idea that that was the beer that that gave everyone the idea that beer could be that colour. You know, what's yeah. get a pint of that? What wasn't that sort of, you know? Yep. And it has, and it had, and it had that caramelly sort of flavour. And then it got you talk, understanding what malt is, and and the the idea of that because you couldn't, you know, you never used to be able to taste that those sort of things. And mm. um, yeah, it was sort of the that was the that was the beer that that sort of done it. I've had I've had some great American ones. I think Americans are really good at the, these amber ales, um, these styles. Um, yeah, because I mean they they love their malts and they love their I mean they love their hop, they love everything they love their hops too but I think they're really good at balancing malts and especially the caramel malts which are really hard to get right yep. you can really overdo them you can really oxidize them they can ruin beers um, but I think I think that when they're done right um, yeah you can get to find some really good examples out there. Yep. I, I, also, just while we're sort of moving on from the the sour, were there particular sours that you take inspiration from can you remember the first sour you had which is a question we sometimes ask people you know what i probably didn't know what i was drinking when i first drunk drunk the sours or even the difference between you know your your long-term barrel aged sours versus sort of quick kettle sours um that was that was sort of a journey i took after i started 
brewing even professionally. Um, you know, they were they were beers that were there, but they weren't even within my reach. You know, yep. And, um, I still have the view that I'm not going to brew any long term sours because I'll leave that up to people that are good at it. Um, yep. And otherwise, I don't know if I if I go down that rabbit hole, I might. I don't know. I don't want to know too much. I don't want to know everything. I want to keep some things um, a mystery because, um, you know, I love beer and I've become obsessed with beer with everything I've done. And um, it's not that it's ruined it, it's, but it's, there's some things I just already know that. So it's sort of, it hasn't got that, it's lost that mystery because I've, yeah. I've known yeah. too much. Um, and I'd love to keep that realm um, mysterious and amazing. Um, but the first sours, geez, what would be the first sours? I think like the, the classic Belgian long to like the you know the long ferment sours, you know, yep. with the real big cultures in them, you know, with all different sorts, you know, um, would would have would have been really the ones the ones that we found. Um, and there was some there was some oh what's the breweries? Yeah, I've. I've got a bit of a brain fade with the long-term memory, but... Uh... It, was, it was funny because someone asked me yesterday, you know, when when did I have my first Australian sour beer? And we yeah. sort of discussed that notion of there, there being two waves, that first wave of people just making sour beers. And I was thinking about mm. your description before of what happens when people read the word sour on a can, yeah, which I reckon yeah. is a bit informed by that first experience. And some people never went back to experience the more nuanced ones that came later on. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I agree, totally agree. Um, yeah, I was just thinking then, um, I think I really got into him with Brad from Left Barrel. Um, he he really knows his way around sours. He does some really interesting stuff, blending, um, some real barrel-aged sort of sort of gear. And that, um, yeah, that really, really steered me towards, towards that sort of stuff. Um, yeah. I remember, yeah, it's, if it's anything like me, the first time I tried sour was probably a Belgian. And I just thought, what the fuck am I drinking? <laughs> what is this thing yeah. that, says beer, that someone claims is a beer? Yeah, yeah. And then you get addicted to it. And then you're oh, like, it yeah. just It's just Moorish and, and tasty and really pairs well with food. Oh, yeah. So, um, yeah, different, really different way of uh, experience what beer can be. Um yeah, we did get to go to Cantillon when we were over in... Oh, in- wow. In lucky man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> notice, how, notice how I didn't swear there? I was, <laughs> and uh, it, was, it was probably one time I regret not drinking more. Um, I couldn't drink enough of that. It was just, yeah, unbelievable um, to sort of go into those cellars and, and you, you're literally speaking to the, the blenders and brewers there. And they brew really seasonally with the with the fruits that's, that are available. I mean, it's yep. real winemaking cross. Um, you yeah. know, I've been doing it for 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 ages. So, yeah, yeah. really interesting stuff. Now, I sort of feel under Warren's steering of the ship here that we sort we sort of jumped a little bit into your you know experiences overseas and so forth mm. without just sort of telling the very beginning of your journey in beer. And you know, did you? Start out as a home brewer, or you know, how did you how did you first start to go down the road that led you back? Yeah, um, yes. So I started started brewing at home. Really, I started brewing in our in our uni share houses in in Adelaide. Um, really, as a way to to make 
cheap beer because yep. we just love drinking <laughs> beer. And I Israelis were right. <laughs> and I was tasked with the job of making the beer, and I just, it just, I just had a knack for it. I mean, my dad, I don't know, we like our family. We're sort of cook, cooks and creating, creating in that way. Um, and I get that from my dad, I think. And he was, he was always home brewing. So was my grandfather. You know, I've got those early memories of the fermenter wrapped in a um, hot hot blanket in Popper's kitchen, bubbling away and helping out bottling days. I always loved it. But when I was actually able to do it myself, I'm like, yeah, I really like this. But I I was not, you know, that was before I was sort of even knew what beer was. I, I literally, yeah, the journey started as I was brewing. So were you uh, studying what were you studying? Something that was I was, vague. I was studying manufacturing management um yeah. in, in Adelaide. So so sort of like processes and and the, I mean to jump jump forward to brewing, it sort of encompasses that whole brewing operation in, mm-hmm. in sort of a microcosm of that, which is um which is yeah, my degree you know made sense <laughs> finally. <laughs> Working in the corporate world, that really put me off um for about five or six years and I was just scratching my head and going, this might not be what I want to do, but was actually um, brewing the whole time, um, you know, at home and we'd have share houses and I'd, we'd run fridge, we'd have a four tap fridge running, uh, you know, and people would come, we'd have parties and people would come and drink, drink the beer and we put all sorts of things and and experiment in that way. Um, And sort of our knowledge of beer grew as a group, um, as, as you do when you, when you're, when you're drinking and enjoying beers with other people. Um, but it sort of grew from there. And I had this this job that I didn't, I, sh- I won't name the company, but I just, just bored me to tears. And there's nothing much else to do but go on, um, you know, internet forums and start reading about more brewing. So I just got right into it. And then sort of the stars aligned. And then that's when this brewery popped up back, back in my hometown of Renmark. And I sort of went, hang on, I could sort of make something of this. Um, I was, I was also, I started, um, I don't know if you know, um, Stephen Nelson, who runs, runs the um, TAFE course no, in, no. at Regency TAFE in, mm-hmm. in Adelaide. He's sort of like the SA Brewing Guru. He's had a lot to do with most breweries that have popped up in the state. And he sort of helped me get a leg up there too. Before there was a course, there was a lot of a trial, a trial course happening at Regency TAFE in about 2009, I think it was. And um, I jumped on board that. And going up to the brewery on the weekends, and so was Stephen because he was brewing beer there for his brewery. So I all tied into one big sort yeah. of circle. He'd make beer at the Woolshed. I'd go and brew beer there with Tom at the Woolshed and learn from Stephen and all together. And but like I said, there was only one beer being made, and that meant one beer, one brew day a month because I only had one tank. So it was it was not a you know it wasn't a full time job. Yeah. Um, but then we got chatting to chatting to Tom, and Tom's like, "This is going to be bigger." He's trying to run this this business, and it's got it's got um, houseboats, it's got accommodation, it's got it's got the whole lot. And he's he's like, "Well, I can't be the brewer, so um, how about it?" And I'm like, "Well, I'll I'll put my hand up. I'll do that," and uh, went from there. So yeah, it sounds like a dream. Like it sounds like one of those really great things that you're almost destined to do it. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, you've got. It's been a long. It's been a long journey and a long. You know, there's been a lot of sort of um, times where I don't know the brewery really slowed down, and you're like, geez, was this the right way to go? You know, 
but it's just boomed. The brewery has really boomed, so it's been really positive. Mm. Um, I'm going to hit you up, and this will be fascinating because because if, when we normally ask this question, uh, the the it, it goes a lot of ways simply because of the experience you might have. So a lot of our brewers have started working in bars and pubs or they've worked through heaps of breweries so they see the most strangest shit. Uh, yeah. so, but, so what what is the weirdest, most confronting, most strange thing you've seen in a cool room? And we use cool room quite loosely. It could be <laughs> in the brewery, in someone else's bar, in wherever oh, really, which is hospitality and beer drinking. I do remember, I do like, I do like old pubs and I do like the buildings themselves. And I always ask, if I can get down to the cellar, I'll just try and weave them away. I just want to look at the yeah. sort of the bowels of the place. Cause that's where the, that's where the bar runs, you know, that's mm-hmm. where these, there's been a thousand kegs down there. They come in and out there. Yep. And I don't know if you've ever seen the, um, the, the keg slides that go down into yeah, some of these yeah. old things, they will break your leg a lot, which you turn your back on it, you know. They are they are lethal. Um, there's been plenty of those, but I um I do remember the the basement of Sweeney's Hotel in Sydney, in the middle of Sydney there. Um mm-hmm. Hotel Sweeney's that the um it's a crazy pub. It's all surrounded by a big glass, you know, the big concrete and glass jungle of Sydney. But then there's this really old building that's on the corner. It's like your old English style. It's got five stories, layer twos, con- story twos condemned, story threes of backpackers. There's a rooftop bar up the top. Um, it's just a, it's a great pub and they, they sell craft beer. He loves craft. So um, go through that. And the bottom's a TAB, you know, you wouldn't even know till you go through all the, all the stories to get Love up the it. top. But, um, got to go down the basement there, and my gosh, that was a sight. Is there's kegs full stacked um, to the ceiling, like just a corridor, because he's got yeah. so much different beers on tap. Um, you know, he's lifting them three high to get them into this little cool room space. That's <laughs> the you know that shouldn't even fit that many kegs in it, and it's just kegs on kegs and things going everywhere. But he makes it work, um, and now they are plumbed all the way to the roof so they go all the way up you know to the, rooftop bar. To the top to the rooftop bar through the backpackers through the uh thai restaurant you know it's um wow. how that how that works i don't know but it's sort of, yeah i love seeing it it's just interesting yeah. to kind of sit, peek behind the curtain and kind of see what what actually happens mm. um at the at the the bullfinch that i was saying um he built his own uh cool room but it, it wasn't even a cook because they don't they don't refrigerate like we do yeah. over here. They've never never really had to because it's cool enough. Mm-hmm. Um, but he'd built an insulated room with an air conditioner, and that was that was his um, cool cellar room. for the for the casks of beer. Yeah. So he was running he's running casks through that through that room, um, and that was like that was like operating out of a little flat like those sort of places. <laughs> Yeah. The bar's no bigger than this one here. I've got a home, you know, and there's three people there standing there serving beer on a handful like this, you know. Through, oh, I'm going to change a keg through this little little door here, and, you know, that sort I of stuff. Um, yeah, then you you come home to to Oz, you've got plenty of space and all of that. It's, um, mm. yeah, it's different. Should, um, <laughs> different to see. If you ever get to Melbourne, the and David will know this pub, the Hardyman's, it's got this really <laughs> flash uh refurb like beautiful amazing like they've done a great job 
you kind of feel a little bit like you're on the deck of a cruise ship when you're inside. Yeah. Um, yeah. But downstairs, like the the it's it's their keg room is this old and it's paved. I reckon it's the original street level for the whole area. It's an old stock area. Yeah. And so there's there's these tiny red bricks. But the first time I've ever seen this happen, so the way you deliver kegs is there's a big cushion underneath the 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 keg door. And you yeah. just push them up, they push the kegs in and it just lands on this <laughs> this cushion. It's like a fucking yeah, I I think you've you're onto something. The the bowels of a of a pub. Yeah. Just the most amazing things. At the bowls club, we used to have an airline plane like a plane tire. So like a big tire, yeah. and they'd bounce, they'd come down and bounce off that, and they'd bounce at all sorts of random angles. Like it was, you know, like some sort of, you know, when you're doing your cricket practice, you know, you throw it at yeah, yeah. and it bounces back at weird angles. This was a bit like that, except we with you know, kegs, you lead kegs, yeah. Oh, yes. Uh, some of the kegs we get back to the brewery look like they've been done without the cushion. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, what has happened here? As long as you're getting them back, that's probably yeah, yeah, that, that's the magical bit of that. I think, yeah, Jackson, that you, the fact that you're getting them back is pretty good. Yeah, we are. We often get explosion stories when we ask that question as well. Have you ever been around a, the back of a brewery when someone put the valve, you know, turned the valve oh. the wrong way or anything along those lines? No, but I was I was debunging casks at um, at Five Points um, that basically. Get left out. They fester in the in the the sun, and I've had the bungs both hammered, like banged back into them. And they are they are bombs. And you need to knock you need to knock the bungs out to, to get them onto the keg washer. Um, they're not like your your modern like you slide it on and it's and then you couple it and then nothing else can happen. These bungs, you're basically you're going to get a hammer and a, and you know a peg to try and get these things out. And they uh, they used to shoot across the room, and uh, you know along with the spiders and the cigarette butts and the Spinning around, <laughs> bit of a mess, bit of a messy corner of the of the operation, but um, no big explosions. I've I've luckily come across, and they can be quite nasty. Mm. There's some, uh, some yeah, some dangerous things out there when you're working with um, stainless steel and high pressure, and or yeah. even the pla- having blown up one of the plastic ones that came in from overseas. Even they're oh, scary yeah. off when they go off. Yeah. So. One it's funny. One of our UK guests had one of those exploding plastic kegs. Uh, yeah, yeah. They'd filled theirs with the yeast culture and yeah. kind of forgotten about it a little bit. And yeah, they use a lot of those over there. They were, um, you know, I hadn't really seen them before until I'd gone overseas. But um, they used a lot in the UK and Europe. Those um, plastic one-way thirty-liter yeah. kegs. We, um, oh, I think we we was we're on the fifty liters because of that tax tax law which has now changed hmm. um but you know 50 liters is the is the full-sized um tr- you know traditional just how we've always sort of moved beer around yeah. um as australians um um but yeah these one-way kegs they're, they're everywhere in there yeah. the, the, the plastic makes so much sense when you're shipping overseas compared to like particularly i used to remember getting yeah. you know american kegs but also the uk ones you know the bombardier and stuff used to come out in this massive keg you know, clearly, like, it couldn't be used for anything else. So it wasn't like you could send it back to CUB and they could do some mm. sort of deal. They were going yeah. to be shipping back empty kegs over, the, you know, bonkers stuff. Yeah. And the, the, the idea is to recycle them. Hopefully mm. that, hopefully that uh, full circle happens. But, um, yeah. yeah. Okay. Mm. 
Um, Shall we have a little pause, team, just so that people can get their glasses ready and, and finish off and savour the amber while we have a pause in the record and then come back and do the do the bunyip? Does that sound yep. okay? Sounds good. Sounds like a plan. Excellent, team. Well, there we're we back go. here. We've had our little break and we're back with Jackson uh, from Woolshed Brewery. And without Travis here to look after us, Warren and I are steering the ship in two different directions at the same time. The <laughs> ship has split in half because I was all ready to taste the Bunyip Imperial Stout. Warren Wu, what did you go and do during the break? I cracked open the Firehouse uh, cold, cold Drip Coffee Stout. <laughs> Well, that's look. We can we can make this work. I didn't dare have the coffee stout uh, on the day that I've been out and about at the RSL and so forth because I think I'm already mixing my uh, my stimulants and my depressants. But Warren, why don't you and Jackson have a quick yarn about the cold drip, and then you can talk us into the into the imperial, and we'll have a bit of compare and contrast about those two as we go along. Yeah, I reckon that's a cracking idea. So, Jackson, you were you were saying just in our break, and we'll let people in, we'll draw back the curtain, let people in on, on what we talk about. Um, so, local local roaster in Renmark um, opened about the same time. Yeah, as the brewery. That's right. So. Um... Actually, a good good mate of mine who I went to school with his his younger brother who'd um who'd uh, stayed on here in Renmark and and sort of started this coffee his interest went down the coffee route um mm. and started as a micro roaster um and he was serving uh it was at the back of his house was in the old Renmark fire station so they they lived in the fire station um and he built, built a little uh, roastery at the back so it, it sort of born the name firehouse. That's what's firehouse oh, yeah. stout. Yeah. So it was a, a link to that. Um, he's since moved out because of all the customers that rocking up um, and renovated the place. So that's now the cafe. Uh, so that, still in the old fire station there. He's upgraded the roaster. He's actually got an offsite um, bottling plant for his cold drip operation, um, which has really taken off. Um, and he's really, really good at what he does. So um, the, the the coffee stout was actually uh, another earlier early beer that we 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 made it was probably one of the third or fourth beers that we made for the brewery um it did start off in a very different way than it is made now um, mm-hmm. because it was sort of trialing it um, as we as we went how to use that coffee mm-hmm. um, we tried beans in the mash we tried um, in the boil but all those things sort of drove off the flavor it was really hard to keep yep. the, the flavor fresh and as Callum um, sort of developed his method for making his cold drip the the beer sort of develops with that and again sim- simple is best basically brew a uh, a nice solid foreign export stout and we blend it at the end with the with the cold drip we've we've sort of found our nice level of the amount that we need to use and the, the time of the brewing process which is appropriate to use it and they just blend together beautifully um it's quite. It is quite strong. You were mentioning the uh, the the physical effects of the coffee kick. Um, it definitely, it definitely is apparent because of the because of the strength of the of the coffee. And we figure that there's about one coffee in a can, roughly. Oh, yeah. So we've sort of we've sort of bar- I'm showing the the, the camera. <laughs> I, the, I uh, didn't even notice that the standard drinks logo. Oh, that's good. One standard coffee. <laughs> that is awesome. That's yeah. 
So, so for our, oh, for the poor folks who haven't seen, who won't see this in at home. Well, all the more um, reason to go to our Shopify yeah, and yeah. Uh, buy a tasting <laughs> pack. So you can enjoy this pack. podcast with the right beers in front of you. Oh man, that's hilarious! I didn't even know that. So, so everyone knows the standard drinks pot, which sits at the 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 schooner that sits at the on the on a can of or on any standard drink. Um, there's there's a beautiful <laughs> coffee cup with the number one on it. It's just, that's just excellent. That's yeah, very very clever. Now, I'm, apologies if you said this precisely and I missed it, but. At what point do you actually add the coffee? Have, have, we get, have we got back to a cool temperature liquid at that stage? And does that affect sort of how you, you know, make sure that you don't lose any of the volatiles through overheating it? Yeah, well, that's that's right. We, and we even tried heating it to pasteurise, but that kills the coffee. So we just, we we only tried that once. We, we didn't even add it to the beer. Um, yeah, it's like boiling your coffee on a stove or something. Expecting yeah. it to taste the same. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we, add it, we add it at the end of end of ferment basically once the the beer has fermented out it's been on um cool cooling and the yeast has dropped and as that beer transfers to bright beer tank we'll we'll basically blend the coffee in line with that because we 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 know our we know our amounts now so we'll just we'll get it fresh from the cafe that day um, that morning pick it up and uh blend it straight in on transfer day just tee it all up tee it up um yeah, there was one day I forgot, so we had to use um, we had to use eight cases, eight cases of one litre <laughs> bottles on transfer, which cleared him out for the week. But um, I said, sorry, I'll be more organised next time. <laughs> <laughs> terrific, that's terrific. And again, with a particular coffee set that you took inspiration from from your from your travels around the world, because it's not a style we see everywhere and it's not or it's, I don't think of it as a traditional style like say a chocolate stout or some of those older UK I ones I had I think I had an American one North Star years 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 North Star an American stout mm-hmm. but as they travel they get old and they get you know sort of the novelty was coffee and you knew it was there but it was a dusty sort of sort of thing but then you you, you kind of know that they they exist um i probably hadn't had heaps of them before we before we made them before we made it um yeah i reckon that one sticks in my mind that north star espresso um stout someone could google it around but yeah (laughs) if it exists (laughs) now particularly when we get to this stage of the third or fourth beer of the podcast we often uh unmute the people who are joining us on zoom it's we obviously love the fact that uh, listeners not only download the podcast, but they come and join us in Zoom from time to time. James, you just asked a really good question in the mm. chat, but yeah. why don't you unmute yourself and, and ask it yourself? Because um, it's a ripper. All right, thanks. And, and thanks, Jackson. It's great to be able to hear the motives behind some of the, the great product we've been drinking. Um, but I wondered about, um, you mentioned that you can't pasteurise it because you lose the volatiles, particularly from the coffee. And I wondered how that affects the shelf life your product the thanks james the um the coffee definitely does um fade in the beer um i haven't had any problems with um the beer spoiling uh i was initially using camden tablets which is sulfur in the in because i was really worried 
and I thought, you know what, this sulfur—it's not really what I want to be doing. Is I don't—I—I—I I, I don't like using sulfur in in the beers. I'm actually susceptible to it myself, so I always notice that there's sulfur in things. Um, and yeah, it just wasn't what I wanted to do. So I said, look, I'm going to make a batch without it, and I'm going to see how it goes. We went to went to the coffee roaster and. I looked at the process um, and it's clean as clean. He's, he's clean. He's cleaner than a winery, cleaner than a brewery that I've ever seen. I'm, you know, um, all credit to Callum. He's, uh, it blows me away what he's doing up doing over the road there. Um, so I thought, look, let's just use this use, just start clean and it's going to go into the beer clean. So the beer has never, I've never found a spoiled one or heard of it, which is, which is good. So it goes in fresh. So it's a, it is a fresh product, but the flavor does, does fade um so if you do age the coffee stout the, the beer age as well like most stouts you probably get a nice year out of them two years you start noticing they sort of change um you know things start oxidizing there but with stouts those flavors work so mm. aging stouts is is a fun thing to do because they're still an, an enjoyable thing because you can kind of taste that taste that process some people like the flavour of oxidised malts as well. You know, they go, wow, this beer's, uh, you know, it's my favourite thing, and and that's great. Um, uh, sorry, just to interrupt. For, will, for, for newer yeah. listeners, what do the oxi- what do oxidised malts, you know, taste like? So people might be out there tasting them and not actually realising mm. that that is in a, a fault in some people's eyes. Yeah, you'll get you'll get some caramelly flavours that turn um, sort of sherry like. So, so it starts tasting like port, that porty sort of character. And people associate that with um, with port and, and sherry, of course, right? So, mm. you know, some people really, really enjoy those flavours and they do match the dark beers anyway. So with, with maybe a bit of a sweet, sweeter mould or those chocolatey, nice flavours, those oxidised and aged flavours sort of work well. Um, yeah, so I, I, I do really enjoy ageing dark beer. Um, but the thing is with the coffee stout, the coffee does fade, and I find that faded coffee it does go a bit dusty. If that's a flavour descriptor, I don't know, a bit like a like a papery, papery, an old old paper. So yeah, yeah it, it, that's the only downfall with the coffee. Brilliant when it's fresh and and young. It's very vibrant, big aromas of that coffee, and people know that it's a coffee stout. You give them an aged one, it just might be a dusty stout. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so yeah, yeah. So yeah, I hope that answers the question for the shelf life. I think, I think that, um, I think that yeah, it's, it's it is fun tasting that those flavours change. Um, whereas in another beer, those flavours would just degrade. You know, where but a stout they 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 do change and give you a different product um, at the end. That's a good question, particularly given this wasn't one of the beers we were going to taste. <laughs> That's terrific. Now, and I don't have that can in front of me, so I don't know what the alcohol percentage of that one is. I know that the Bunyip, where we're heading, uh, is bigger alcohol. Um, uh, 5.6, it says on the can, David. So, and again, we've touched on this with a few other brewers in the past. Check our archives. But how much difference does the amount of alcohol that's that's in the liquid affect the way that it changes flavour-wise over time as well? Well, for me, the, the higher the alcohol, the more concentrated the malts are going to be so you're just going to you're going to get deeper and deeper um, layers and as we get onto the bunyip it is an amped up version of of this stout so mm. it's 
it's the same, not the same malt bill, but it's it's the it's just a, it's a concentration of those flavors. And obviously, with with more malt, you're going to get more more fermentable sugars, which give you more intensity of flavors. So, and I'm generalizing, but as you go up that that ABV level, your flavors are going to intensify. Um, the alcohol itself is going to give a nice flavor. It's 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 going to carry flavors through the palate. It's going to change how it feels. It's going to, and that's got itself got flavor. Um, so that's a whole nother aspect as well. But as far as the beer goes, it's it's just it's a concentrated version of of a, a lower ABV, I suppose. Yeah. Well, I'm literally about to to open up the bunyip. So why don't we why don't we do a little bit of a taste, and particularly for people who've got both beers in their tasting packs. What things are people going to notice that's the same? What things are people going to notice that's different? You know, give us a little tasting test. Talk us through the, the colour as it is in the glass, the aroma. Oh. So, so the Bunyip um, started as a, as a concept. I was going to brew one batch a year of it in the, the, the coldest, deepest, darkest, you know, the full moon, that sort of, that sort of vibe around it thing. Um, I, I, bunyip, I should. I'm going to interrupt. I'm being bad. I've been interrupted a couple of times. But again, for our overseas, for all of these Norwegian listeners who we now have, we'd better explain what a bunyip is bunyip before is, we start yeah. to talk about what you know who, why brewing under a full moon would make sense. Yeah. So the bunyip's the the Australian mythical creature. The um, you know it's the Yowie. It's the Bigfoot of the of the region. And and being down near the river, the bunyip's always lived in the Billabong. And, and mm. oh, it's the one yeah, you that better explain what a billabong is. <laughs> I can look that up. And, I'll give uh, you the good oil on the billabong. Right? Yeah, the the jolly swagman of the billabong. Um, yeah, it's that. It's and it sort of you know it just sort of creates that sort of that sort of vibe and that that theme for the beer. Mm. Um, we're only going to brew one batch a year. It, it was a single batch, but the that batch size actually disappears very quickly. So uh, last year I brewed. A triple batch or three three batches of that all all at the same time um and that's given us that's given us a uh enough stock there's still stock of bunyip at the brewery which means maybe i'll only brew two batches maybe just one batch again because i don't want it to be available all year. i don't need it to be available in january i don't want mm-hmm. it because no one's drinking it anyway uh well you know generalizing yeah. but um I'd, I'd really just like it for the winter and it was one of those one of those beers um yeah so it was just kind of created from that um so a bit of bit of dark bit of darkness to a bit of mystery a bit of that sort of theme so i've used a lot of a lot of different type of roast malts in that um i Talk should through that a bit yeah so i i like to carry the a theme through all the beers of the brewery and they have they do use a lot of similar malts and one one that i like using is this crystal wheat malt that i can get that i can get my hands on so crystal wheat is uh um, it's got no husk like barley does, um, which, which which means that there's less husk in the in the mash, and that that has different flavour um, characters to it. But it's been it's a crystal malt, so the sugars in that have been candied, mm. um, and and also with wheat you get a lot more a lot more starch and a lot more a lot more sort of um, creaminess to the to the final beer as well. So a lot of the dark beers like the amber, like the the coffee stout and and even that golden ale the original beer use this crystal wheat um and i've just found a really nice malt to use and a lot of 
it sort of gets overlooked a lot. Um, I've, I don't really see it pop up that that much in um, in other breweries. So, um, so we so I like to build a lot of beers around that. So I've got roasted malt and roasted barley. Roasted barley is the raw version of, of malt or the the unmalted version. So I've got those two playing there. Love chocolate malt, so chocolate malt's in there as well. Um, when when I was when I was um, brewing in the UK. I got shown this technique how to use the roasted malts in these traditional mash tuns. This beer is so big it doesn't fit in our mash tun uh, at the brewery. It, it uses 350 kilos of malt. The, the brewery is only designed for about half of that. The brewery is designed for a 5% pale ale, mm, where this nice. is a you know a, a 9% um, imperial stout. So you can brew that much, but you get less beer. But you know being a brewer and a tinkerer, you like to sort of maximise things and the, uh, you know, the operations manager, you know. I was going to say, that's the other thing. <laughs> keep the efficiencies going. Um, yeah, trying to find ways that you can do that. And basically um, the short of it is leave the leave the roast malt out of the whole, the first stage of mashing and, and slowly add that as the sort of grain bed compacts and there's enough room for it in the mash tun. What that does, because the... The sugars don't need to convert as much in um, roasted malts as they do for the pale stuff where you get your real alcohol from with the sugar that turns to alcohol. Um, it's mainly for the flavour. So you can you can not use them in the in the main mash and and add them gradually and still get that flavour. But it also you don't get husk in there, which adds to can add to astringency for the beer. Sort of helps helps give you a bit of a smoother balance of the roasted malts. So, all of that coming together uh, and and touching on the intensity of the beer as the alcohol goes up, you got to be careful um, with your balance of malts as the alcohol goes up because you throw one because the, the the changes are more noticeable. I, I find so. Um, it even intensifies the flavour of the pale malt, you know, which um, which you're not really thinking about pale malt when you when you're looking at big dark, mm. but you're thinking about all the roasts and how they how they work. Um, so there, the flavours are all all intensified from from all from all angles, from all corners. So um, yeah, it's just it's a bit of been a bit of a, a beer where I've pulled together that sort of knowledge from that I gained from overseas and. And like I said before, I, I love my dark beers. I love stouts. I want SA to champion stouts um, as as a state for Australian beers. I think it's a perfect beer for SA. Um, I'd love to hang my hat on on being a solid uh, dark beer and stout brewer. Um, you know, hopefully one day I can uh, I can uh, achieve that brewing brewing goal and fly the flag for SA. You know, so. Um, yeah, I just I just love love the um, the dark, the roast, the uh, the big warm slow sippers. They're my they're my sort of beers, you know. Yeah, yeah. I think we're getting a real feel for the for the themes that you're working with there. It's it's genuinely really interesting to sort of often we have breweries that come on with say a pilsner and then a couple of our pale ale into an IPA or a double IPA. It's quite a different lineup that we have today. Um, mm. and just really fun to get to taste some of those beers next to each other and get that feeling for what, what you're working with. Yeah, good. Cheers, cheers. Thanks, uh, thanks for uh, bringing them together. And, uh, you know, you have tasted a real range. Uh, like, you know, we've, only we've only touched on four, but we've, we've tried to offer a, a big range and, and of what the, 
the riverland and the woolsheds about. So, you know, I mean, I've never, well, I have, but I've, I've never commercially brewed a Nipah and had that or the cold IPA that, that, that Mark mentioned before or that James mentioned before. Um, you know, so I just don't find that those hype beer, Woolshed isn't that hype beer, let's do that one and then change it and move on to the next. There's some real, there's some real connection to some of the beers like the Amber Ale. Like when when someone says, "Gee, oh, we love that. We want, we love that to be part of the lineup." And we're like, "Well, let's let's make it. Let's put it on. Let's put it on." You know. So yeah, it's a bit of a bit of a collection, bit of a something for everyone, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. We when we I should have mentioned, and I'll make sure I do it when I do my little, you know, opening spiel pre-record, that the stout should come out of the fridge early. Um, that's not something that comes automatically to every Australian drinker. You know, what, what's the ideal temperature to drink the Imperial at? And is it the same for the cold drip or, you know, how do you feel about all those things, even with the amber? Look, I think if you, if you drink something like the Bunyip ice cold, you're just missing out. You probably just won't get what the beer's about. You'll go, yeah, it's all right. It's a bit dulled and now, now it's gone straight to my head because um, I could drink it really quickly because it was cold. Um, but that's not really what the beer's about because, you know, as the temperature warms up gradually, the flavours open up. You can't, you know, that's and that's all there is to it. So if you want to have a beer cold and you like the sensation of cold, I, you know, I do when you have a cool, a cool drink. That's why those two words go well together, um, you know, yeah, because it's a refreshing thing to do. But it hampers flavours. So you could brew something that sort of counteracts that as well, like a like an IPA, like kind of having IPAs nice and cold because the flavours are so big. You let them warm up and it sort of just, it does really, you get too much. So it's, it's kind of good to sort of suppress them in, in that way. But it depends how you like drinking, you know. It's, um, but I definitely, something like the Bunyip, you, you're not going to get, you're not going to get the full flavour um, of a beer like that ice cold from the fridge that's mm. that's sort of all there is to it i suppose um oh sorry david i was just gonna ask a quick question related to like i'm going back to to your to the firehouse stout so is there a is there a relationship between the way you make the base stouts and the imperial and the bunyip like is the is is uh, have you started at one and just kind of doubled it up or, or just create that yeah create that no the, the bunyip is is its own beast mm-hmm. um the coffee stout was sort of was based on a on an old you know a collection of of gatherings and notes and homebrew recipes and you sort of hone it all in to kind of create your your recipe that suits the brew house and that was done that was done many years that was done oh 2010 i reckon we we like 2011 something like that we, we were mm-hmm. We brewed that beer. The bunyip's a lot newer. Um, I, I couldn't tell you the first year we made it. Uh, maybe 2015, 2016. No, it was definitely after I come back from the travels. Um, <laughs> 2017, 2018, something like that. So it's a bit newer. It's a lot newer and yep. start from scratch. They all start from the same place. Yeah. Um, yeah, they do start from the same place. And I carry a lot of the same malts through mm-hmm. um, to give you sort of that, that continuity. But the the recipe is its own is its own beast. Um, the bunyip uses more hop, a lot more hops than the coffee stout. The, the coffee stout is is just bitterness. 
yep. where the bunyips the bunyips um got two hop charges at the end of boil um to really sort of balance that bitterness and flavor out yeah yeah as well so that kind of creates a different different beast there uh which i'm just gonna charge my glass with some bunyips so yeah, and then and then why don't you at that point take us right through that tasting from how it looks in the glass? We haven't spoken much. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah, we don't, we haven't talked about the beer. We've talked about the production, which was an amazing answer. My aim was to make it black, and it's black. I'm pouring oh, on the yes. camera, and it's just like tar. Yeah, I don't think you can actually see through it. Um, and that is all that roast that's in there. It creates a really tan head, and that's from all that chocolate and roast malt in there. Mm -hmm. Um Whereas the, the coffee stout's quite a white, fluffy sort of sort of head, but the bunyips, the bunyips, and that's all the residual sugars and, and colour in there that's, that's, that's given that. It finishes at about five Play-Doh, which is really sweet, but the, hopefully the bitterness is balancing that as well. So you're giving, giving yourself a nice, rich sort of um, base to taste all those malts on. Um, but, yeah, I think there's eight different malts in there off the top of my head. So there's seven or eight um yeah which which kind of made it a bit a bit messy but i think it i think it'll work so i think you know some of them are quite similar to each other so they are you know they don't they're, they're all in the same camp so yeah hopefully it all, all works um it's hopped with ella which is uh an australian quite a bitter hop so you don't you don't need to use heaps to kind of get a lot of bitterness to carry through but that's kind of grapefruity uh, citrus rindy sort of thing and that's sort of there just enough to kind of pick that up the bitterness is definitely there but i think you're going to get bitterness anyway with with um big roasty things so um yeah i think it all comes together without too many tricks yeah great um what do you think david i think that was a really lovely way to end i kind of agree yeah so i reckon it will yeah. We'll sort of say, a, 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 we're going to sit around in the Zoom room. We're going to chat. That's what we do. Uh, that's why being in the room with us is the best way to experience the podcast. Uh, make sure you follow our Facebook. Make sure you track down Woolshed's socials. Jackson, can you run us through those? Uh, Woolshed Brewery, uh, most things. The Facebook's the main point of call for all the things that are happening um, the events and, and stuff. The Instagram's the, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the show reels. Yeah, that's right. All the things that happen around the brewery. Um, actually, there's some good shots. We did a vinyl a vinyl record day on Saturday, which was good fun. Wow. Uh, some good shots from that. We haven't had that at the brewery before, so that was really cool. Um, and then, um, but there, that's Facebook. Um yeah, that's Instagram, but they're the, they're, the, they're the main two that we've sort of put our info out on. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's how you find us. Excellent. Well, we've been really lucky to have you on. It was a bit hit and miss, but thank you for being patient at your end. Uh, it's been exciting for us to to have some of those beers to talk about a great bit of Australia. We, uh, we keep on hoping that the Tasmanian Tourist uh, you know, Bureau will sling us some money to come down there but south australia if you're over there and you want us to come and visit uh we're certainly up for doing a, a nice tour of the amazing part of this australia which is south australia and we will um, make sure that woolshed is very much on that list cheers guys thanks very much thank you jackson thanks, thank you jackson. Warren.